This is a talk by Fred Chambers titled Breaking Out of Prison, recorded March 22, 2009, at the Center for Sacred Sciences in Eugene, Oregon. So my talk this morning is entitled Breaking Out of Prison, and is inspired by a verse of poetry, the book Nobody's Son of Nobody, this 10th century Sufi master, Sheikh Abu Sayyid. Here's what he wrote. In this prison house of ignorance, only sincerity in your desire to be knowingly free counts. Only sincerity makes you worthy of the light of knowing. So he's saying we're in prison. But at first glance, that really doesn't seem to be the case, does it? We're free to go to the church of our choice. In political elections, we're free to vote for whomever we choose. Free to travel wherever we want to. So it really doesn't seem like a prison. But if we look a little closer, aren't there times in our lives where we feel trapped? unable to get out, seems like there's nowhere to go. Storms of emotions sweep over us. It feels like we're swaying us one way or another and there's really no way to escape. There's a sense that there's something more to life than what this constricted life we're living. We just have a sense that there's something more unlimited and expansive than what we experience. Or just a general feeling of unsatisfactoriness with small things in your life. Things arise day to day and it's just a little kind of trapped in this unsatisfactory nature of things. Can anybody think of a time in your life where you've felt this sense of imprisonment, this, this sense of feeling trapped a little bit? Rich, why don't you, we'll just write a few of these down here on the board. I, I can think back in my life when emotions, I felt like they just were me, they controlled me and I was trapped in a, in a very fearful small place. Anybody else? Oh, trapped in a job or a career. <clears throat> trapped uh, in a body that doesn't do what you want. <laughs> yeah, trapped in a relationship that wasn't working so good. Habit. Habit? Trapped by habit? Yeah, Pat. It was just the obligations for family obligations. Trapped by family obligations. Mm -hmm. Similar to relationships. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, Robert? I think we ought to list beliefs also, even though it's not normally one that we're aware of. Trapped by your beliefs, and yes. Well, that's kind of includes everything here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've always, I think, almost always felt like, I would call it trapped in the world, or trapped in my thoughts, I guess, or in my beliefs, with you know, some periods in life, or days, or months, where you don't feel that, but it always, that just general uneasiness always comes back, like, like you're, it's a somewhat, uh, at least mildly hostile environment that you live in. You know? Kind of similar to what Robert was saying, just uh, the fear of death, frightened by the prospect of this body-mind is going to die. It doesn't seem like there's anything we can do about it. It's beyond our control. We're identified with this body and it's going to die. So we're trapped in this sense of a prison. So we can see as we've scratched a little deeper, this, this freedom that we think we possess really starts to appear a little more tenuous. And the first step in really getting out of prison is to acknowledge that we are trapped. We are in this prison-like environment. And we have to realize or intuit that maybe there is some way out. Maybe there is something more we can, some, some freedom that can be attained somewhere. 
So if we investigate the mystics, we'll see that they're the original jailbreakers of the world. They claim to have discovered a way out of this prison and found freedom. Jesus says, know the truth and it shall set you free. Uh, just a note here, I'm going to substitute the word consciousness in these, a lot of these quotes, I'm going to substitute the word consciousness to kind of a, as a common denominator for all these words of the ultimate reality. So if I say a quote by somebody, just realize that I might have tweaked a word or two there, just for the record. So to read that again, I would say, know the truth of consciousness and it shall set you free. And Taoist sage Lao states, The nameless, uncarved block of consciousness is but freedom from self-centered desire. And if I cease to desire and remain still, the empire will be at peace of its own accord. So since the mystics have been in this same prison where we find ourselves, it might be wise for us to listen and ponder to what they have to say and follow their example. So let's begin by investigating what this prison is made of. So we can devise a plan on how to get out. So in that, in that original quote by Abu Sayyid, he called it a prison house of ignorance. So what might that mean? A synonym for ignorance is unawareness. Now the implication is that we are not knowing something correctly, or maybe it is something that we are just simply ignoring. Or maybe we re remain unaware of something that will set us free. Here is Hindu sage Shankara. Man's life of bondage to the world of birth and death has many causes. The root of them all is the ego, the first begotten child of ignorance. So he's saying that the root of this imprisonment is this ego, this belief that we are a separate self. And the ego is born because we are ignoring something. He goes on. When a man's mind is overpowered by extreme ignorance, it creates a sense of ego by identifying itself with the coverings. When the ego is completely destroyed, the mind is cleared of the obstacles which obstruct its knowledge of oneness with consciousness. So he says we are, what we are ignoring is pure consciousness. And instead of noticing that, attention is habitually focused on all the things that are arising. Thoughts, emotions, concepts, perceptions. And we create this ego or this sense of self by identifying these things as belonging to an I. So simply put, we are creating our own prison by creating this ego and attaching all these things as real. All these things that arise, we attach them as real and ignore this pure consciousness that underlies everything. And the way the ego really gets quote-unquote destroyed is when we cease to cling to phenomena as belonging to us. Then the sense of self starts to diminish and consciousness comes into the foreground and we have an opportunity to recognize that that is what we are. And here's almost the exact same analogy about prison made in the Buddhist Lakavatara Sutra. It is because the ignorant cling to names, signs, and ideas, and as their minds move along these channels, they feed on multiplicities of objects and fall into the notion of an ego soul and what belongs to it. They make discriminations of good and bad among appearances and cling to the agreeable. And as they thus cling, there is a reversion to ignorance, and karma born of greed, anger, and folly is accumulated. As the accumulation of karma goes on, they become imprisoned in a cocoon of discrimination, and are henceforth unable to free themselves. So the one thing he's kind of added here is that the more we act with this selfish intent, the more we become trapped in this prison.
And if you're more scientific-minded and not sure you really believe what the mystics have to say, let's listen to Albert Einstein. A human being experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings, as something separate from the rest, a kind of optical illusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of understanding and compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. So we, here we have some precise agreement from both religion and science about this sense of self, which is, has become an obstacle to our freedom. <clears throat> Let's see if these things they are saying are true in our lives. Let's look at uh, some of these things we put up on the board here, see what, what seems to keep us trapped. So is it true that emotions arise? Don't we claim them to be belonging to us? Whatever it is, anger, fear, we claim it as, as belonging to an ego or to a self. And then there, there seems to be no way out. It just keeps kind of feeding on itself. If we're calm, eventually it will pass away like a big storm cloud does. But we're in the midst of it, it's, you know, there's, there's no way out. It seems like that. If we believe that the ego owns this, these feelings, then there really is no way out of that. A job or a career, we're trapped by the ego, this sense of self, is going through life in some way, and for some reason we don't feel like we can get out of it. Security. Need for security. Yeah, sense of security. The ego or the self is desiring it, clinging to a sense of security. The body arises, is it really a problem? If we see that we aren't a body, then there's no problem with death. I mean, if we stop ignoring this consciousness that, is, that a body arises out of, then there really isn't any death. Relationships. It's usually one ego against another ego. <laughs> Get into this battle in relationship with another person. We're kind of butting heads with it, and we feel trapped in that, in that this sense of what is best for me, or what, what I need to do to, to get out of the situation that's bad for me. And all these things can continue to arise, you know, in relationships. Some relationships, is the wisest thing to do is to get out of it. The more you can let go of that sense of self, the more you can just act without feeling trapped. Habitual patterns. This is kind of the whole... All these are kind of habitual patterns. It's a habitual pattern of identifying ourselves with the body-mind. is always going to trap us. That habit energy keeps feeding, keeps going on and on, and to kind of break through that is, is to really start to get free from, from this sense of ego. And family obligations are similar to relationships there. So we've heard from the mystics and seen in our own experience here that we seem to be creating our own prison by creating an ego and ignoring consciousness. Now, an analogy is kind of like thousands of diamonds and rubies laid out in this black velvet cloth. Attention is so focused and fascinated by these diamonds and rubies that we don't notice the black cloth underneath. As we start to remove these jewels, then we start to notice what is underneath, what they're sitting on, this black cloth. And so that is what is valuable to recognize what is underneath all these things arising. 
not the phenomena themselves, but what do they arise out of? And so before we devise a plan on how to break out of jail, what are some traits that might be helpful as we go, go along? Now an attitude of being very alert yet very relaxed would be very helpful. You need to be observant every opportunity to escape, but you also need to be, to be relaxed. Because if you're too nervous, the jailers are going to kind of notice you and clamp the chains on even tighter. So we need alert, relaxed attention. And the sincerity of desire to be free is what Abu Sayyid said was most valuable. This is an earnestness, a determination to break out of prison. So this endeavor really becomes your highest priority. And you're willing to and eager to undergo whatever it takes and however long it takes to get out. Jesus said, knock and the door shall be opened. He didn't say the first time you knock, the door is going to be open. You're going to be able to walk out of prison. It could be quick like that, like Ramana Maharshi. He had maybe a 20-minute path. He was a teenager in India. He came home from school and he just had the sense that he was going to die. And so he didn't run away from it. He earnestly wanted to explore what, what death was all about. And so with his alert attention, he just mimicked the death process. Rigor mortis, and just in his had visual images of it being carried to the funeral pyre and being, his body being burned. Everything disappeared, and what was left, this pure consciousness, that is what he was. Or you could spend a lifetime earnestly looking for the key to unlock this prison door. Like Satomi Mayodu, a 20th century Japanese woman, she rejected a life of, traditional life of being a wife and a wise mother when she was a young woman. And she eventually became a disciple of a Shinto priest for several years, quite a few years. And in the midlife, she got hooked up with Zen Buddhism and worked with several different teachers. And finally, late in her life, she had Kinsho, or Enlightenment. It's been a while since I've read the book. I don't remember the exact details of quite how she, she awakened. But the point is, she, it was like a 30 or 40, 50 year path she was on. She just continued earnestly looking and eventually, eventually found her way home. So, if we bring along our alert, relaxed attention and our earnestness and determination, to break out of this prison, what is our plan of action? Well, there are several options to choose, but probably the quickest way is to melt the prison bars with the fire of love and devotion. Remember that the ego, all these thoughts, emotions, and stories that we identify as us, are the prison bars of this prison. So we practice surrendering everything back to consciousness. As we earnestly keep practicing this, the prison bars become softer and softer. And pure consciousness becomes more and more <coughs> obvious until we can't ignore it any longer. As this process continues, we feel freer and less burdened by this concern for self. And the more happiness and love starts to manifest in our lives. And the more motivation and desire there is for continuing the practice. Here's another verse from Abu Sayyid. Lovers are sacrifices to the beloved consciousness. And this world is their slaughterhouse. They desire no heaven, since without you, beloved consciousness, a hundred times higher than that is hell. So it is this ego, this self. We are the lover that we're sacrificing 
the self back to consciousness. Wherever you find yourself in the world, surrender it back to the divine. Another part of that quote is to not to seek any reward, and you're not seeking heaven. The surrender itself is a reward. And when you are ignoring consciousness, you are so far below hell that it is unimaginable. So it's, that really kind of speaks to this love for consciousness, consciousness that can grow quite strong, and you become willing to surrender your life. So to be completely committed on this path of devotion, you usually need to fall in love with the divine in order to want to be devoted. But we don't have to wait for love to descend upon us. We can start to take action and to tap in that love by doing acts of love. Theophane the Recluse says, Humility is acquired by acts of humility. Love by acts of love. And what is the greatest act of love? Isn't being willing to give up what is most dear to us? This concern for ourselves? And start to put the concern for others above our self-concern? You can start, start out by giving time and money to people in need. All these things start to remove that sense of self that's in the world. Start to pay a little more attention to what other people need instead of what is best for us. Doing acts of love can also bring up strong emotions. One example in my life was being a parent. Being a parent was one of, my, one of the things I really identified with and enjoyed most of my life. And so as my son got older, I mean there was several times where he had to kind of let go of things as he got older, but when he was going off to college, that was kind of a really, it brought up a lot of uh, sadness in my life. You know, intellectually, I mean, it's the best thing. He needs to go off and start his own life. But I really enjoyed, he was like a real friend, and he, he's like, you know, he's leaving the house, leaving the nest, so to speak. And so it, was, it brought up a lot of sadness. So was, I just had to be with that sadness. And that's just part of love, is being able to let go, let go of the things most dear to us. So we have to be willing to be with some of these intense emotions. And they initially can be quite frightening. It's kind of like a testing period. Can we accept the right hand and the left hand of consciousness? Can we bring this same relaxed, alert attention to bear on these so-called negative feelings? And actually all this intensity, whatever emotions arise, helps speed up the melting of the prison bars. And it's also good to note that this love is not necessarily a strong emotional feeling but it's really more of a willingness to move in the direction of selflessness. A willingness to surrender this ego self wherever we encounter it. But maybe we're not able to generate quite enough intense heat to melt these prison bars. So what are some other options for breaking out of jail? Digging a tunnel to escape would be another way to go. This would be like looking within and clearing out the things that are in our way. And we begin with the same recognition that the ego is the cause of our bondage and that the attention is so focused on this story of I that we're ignoring primordial consciousness. Meditation, concentration meditation, we can start with on a breath or a mantra. And wherever we're, whenever we're distracted by thoughts and emotions, we simply return our attention back to the breath or the mantra. And as we steadily and consistently keep working at it, we become freer and freer of the ego. 
All these things, we just, we let them go as they arise and return to the breath. So that continues to give us more freedom in our lives. It's kind of like taking one cup of, of dirt out of the tunnel at a time. Remember seeing those old World War II movies, the prisoners of war, they're digging a tunnel and they like take a spoonful of dirt. I think they'd, they'd carry it out in a bucket up into their compound and then they'd carry it out one spoonful at a time and throw it out so the guards wouldn't notice it. So this is kind of the same process, it's just kind of slowly as we continue to do it, that same determination, we just keep at it, little by little, start getting freer of this, the egoic thoughts. Now we could then move on to other meditations, but for simplicity's sake, let's say we just continue with concentration meditation. And so the more we continue this, the more we, we detach from these thoughts, labels and stories, the more spaciousness we start to notice in this tunnel, and the more joy we feel as we go through our lives. And as we continue removing obstacles, we start to notice that this breath or mantra is arising out of this spacious awareness, and then dissolving back into it. And so we're beginning to notice this pure consciousness that we've been, been ignoring up to this time. And as we continue on, we also notice that these thoughts and stories that make up this ego are also arising and dissolving back into this pure consciousness. And the more we are able to rest in this consciousness without identifying with the thoughts and stories, then the less power they have to bind us. And the pieces of the prison bars start to fall away. So a third method now for breaking out of prison would be to cut through the prison bars with a hacksaw. To do this we'd follow the inquiry method of Ramana Maharshi. Whenever a thought or emotion arises that we identify with as an ego, we ask, to whom is that thought occurring? The mind says, to me. Then we ask, well who am I? And with repeated practice, with repeated practice, that will keep cutting through the prison bars and returning us to this pure consciousness that we've been ignoring. When we ask, who am I? There really is no answer to that question. So it just drops us back into that space of pure awareness. And one final method I'll mention would be to play your get out of jail free card. <laughs> and to get this card, you only need to answer one question. Although with the stipulation that it has to be answered to the satisfaction of the Zen master. <clears throat> so use that same sincerity and earnestness we've been using in all these methods and relaxed, alert attention as we ponder the question. Here it is. Someone places a gosling in a large bottle with a long neck, like the ones you've seen build, people build boats inside of, has been given food and water and is now full grown. Without breaking the glass, how do you get the goose out of the bottle? Once you've had an insight into how to get the goose out of its imprisonment, you will have realized how to get yourself out of jail. And this is a, actually a Cohen practice. And it's, it's actually similar to all these different methods for breaking out of prison we've been talking about. Because it's trying to get us beyond this egoic thinking mind. And break through that pure consciousness that we've always been ignoring. So breaking out of prison is a simple task, but it's not an easy task. It's simple because we can understand it, we can intellectually understand all these things we need to do, but uh, it's never been easy. Here's a quote by Attar, another Sufi master. 
He's from the 11th century. Do not imagine that the journey is short, and one must have the heart of a lion to follow this unusual road. For it is very long and the sea is deep. One plods along in a state of amazement, sometimes smiling, sometimes weeping. After my realization, someone asked me if the spiritual journey had been worth the effort. My response was, not only was it worth it, but it really was the most valuable thing that we can do, that I could have done. Because every other endeavor we do is really a mere reflection of the reality of pure consciousness. So as we ponder this great adventure of freeing ourselves from our self-imposed prison, I'll borrow some inspiring words from John F. Kennedy's speech about going to the moon. He gave this speech in the early 60s. And he said, we, we're not, we weren't going to the moon because it was easy, but, but because it was hard. So I'll change the context here a little bit, but I'll borrow some of his words. We choose to seek the truth of consciousness in our lifetimes. We choose to seek the truth of consciousness, not because it is easy, but because it is a difficult challenge that is worthy of the highest sacrifice. It is a challenge we are willing to accept, and one we are unwilling to postpone. So may you all, may you all realize this truth within yourself. Amen. Questions, comments? I really appreciated your insights and and the research that you did to give the time. Any particular thing that was helpful that you heard? Uh, love and devotion. I really like that. And that love is the um, it, I guess something it, it's just a willingness. I mean that, I liked that that you when you said the willingness just to keep letting go of self it means to me that I don't have to be perfect. The divine doesn't demand perfection. It's a demands commitment. On that same note, I liked when you said uh, the love need not be a strong emotional feeling, but just a willingness, and that makes me feel better because I'm always thinking I'm supposed to feel some way. I've been brought up thinking I'm sure supposed to be doing something. And I like that kind of eases that for me too. <laughs> Just the willingness without having to have the rush of emotion is kind of difficult to do sometimes. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. That sense of should again is just part of this this ego that we're attached to. It's yeah. It's the prison bars that are holding you in that you should be some way. And actually I mentioned a little more of the devotion because when I gave a talk a couple months ago, Bill and Carol asked me, could I give them kind of a talk about the Janani practice of really of looking within and trying to discover the true reality through insights. They asked, what about devotion? We, we like to practice devotion more. We're in the path of devotion. What about that? So that's one of the reasons, at least, that I put that more in my talk. And it's good, it's good to, to balance both out because really... We all need both of them on our path. Even Dr. Wolf, who was like almost a pure Janani of, of using his mind to, to, to penetrate through to reality. I mean, he was devoted to that, that path of inquiry, of intellectual pursuits. 
We need both paths. That's my, my tattoo. It's love and love and wisdom. You can't fly without love and wisdom. Yeah, I appreciate the way you tied it all together. And uh, for me, you know, it's more of the love. But all these, I've done all these other practices, meditation, inquiry, I've done it all, and it's been helpful. And I appreciate the uh, you mentioned the fire and my my walk has really been recently a lot of fire, a lot of emotions, a lot of things. And just sitting with them and the fire just burns them up. The love, I call it stuff. Fire of love just burns these up if I continue to sit with it. And then I'll wander and you know, I come back. Prison bar is getting softer and softer. Yeah. <laughs> bind you quite as much. You see that's the image of the, like the Hindus of the, the rope that binds us. Once we burn through it, then it still appears, same thoughts and feelings arise, but we're not attaching to them as belonging to a self, so they can, they can no longer bind us. It's just the image of a burnt rope, just the, the ash. Visual, visually it looks the same, but it's just totally ash, I mean, there's nothing to it. That reminds me of uh, a saying that I heard a long time ago, you can look at your bars or look through them. Yeah. And what you said uh, about doing things for others, it brought back something that Joel said a long, long time ago about, um, you know, if you don't really feel like doing something that is selfless or generous. You, sometimes you have to give yourself, he said, a jump start, you know, and do it. And yeah. then that will lead to more of a, of a desire to an awareness of what it is that is going to make you satisfied. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true that prime the pump or jumpstart, yeah, if we just start to, to act, to start to let go of things a little bit, I mean, just in that action, you start to notice I mean, the love or happiness starts to shine through. Because it's, the more you let go of the, your self-concern, just the, the easier things are. I mean, they're less burdened, like that should that Pat was talking about. If we start to let go of those things, then that, maybe that is the freedom. They're, they're not binding us anymore. And then the, that happiness and love starts to shine through. And you know, sometimes we do just have to start to start to act. It's like that quote I read by Theophane. Humility is acquired by acts of humility, love by acts of love. So you learn just by acting with love, even if you're not feeling it, you start to discover it. Yeah. And you were talking about when your son grew up and went away to college and the feelings that that evoked. Mm -hmm. And so, to the reminder that oh, you don't cater to those feelings and feel, oh, poor me, you know, I've lost my friend, and, you know, what it meant to you, but more, what's the right thing to happen is for him to grow up, mm -hmm. and for you to deal with these emotions, and not try to you know, get around them, but just to experience them and let go. Yeah, absolutely true.
because we, we tend to get possessive and uh, we get attached to that relationship and the whole, all those experiences, you know, you feel like you just want more of that, but you can't have it. Right, yeah. It's, for the good of the whole, really, it's kind of a place to come out of. Right. What, is, what is the good of the whole? And keeping your your uh, sons and daughters locked in their room after they're 18. <laughs> not for the good of the whole, not for the good of anybody in that situation. <laughs> yeah, and, and just going through that process of those, those emotions, I mean, it was a chance for me to grow up too, in a sense. I mean, he was growing up by it going the world, and I was growing up by being able to experience those emotions and just letting them be. Are learning to detach from them more and more as they as they, they continue to arrive. You were just ahead of me. I was. Uh, you, your son went away to college. Mine stayed home. So I prolonged that sense of you know possession or um, you know the experience was prolonged. Mm -hmm. But it, I mean. I guess there's no time that's a special time that you learn these things. It happens when it happens. And that's right. So you've just been going through that recently? Yeah. A little bit stormy, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, making, we're coming through <laughs> to the other end. Little by little we're coming through, but you know. It's good to hear someone talk about that. Good. Especially since I know who your son is. I've met him. <laughs> yeah, he turned out okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Deanna. What can you talk about your process of devotion? Can you elaborate a little bit? My process of devotion, well, it was just the whole, the, the path really. I became kind of devoted to the path, I and mean, it was just like a calling. For me, it was like almost like a calling. I mean, at first, I really didn't label it as a kind of a devotional path. And it was like, if I ever really labeled it as like, I was never really purely on a devotional path. But it became really important to me. It became a primary thing in my life because it was, you know, it was just something I it was that desire to know. It was like it's a similar to Dr. Wolf in a sense. It was just that desire, I mean, I brought this earnestness to the to knowing and that was kind of a path of devotion. And I mean actually my awakening occurred on it was it was a retreat on devotion actually. And so there was there were things in my life that I was, I started to notice, you know, things arose that I would just start to give back, you know, kind of leading up to this retreat in like six months or something. Things would arise that I would notice and just, you know, spontaneously give back to the to consciousness, to the divine. And, and I could see that that was a devotional path. I mean, it was, I was just surrendering things. Things would arise and I was just giving them back to the divine. And that kind of, Prime my pump for the for the retreat actually, and so it was continuing there and just and on the retreat it was 
seeing we had to give up everything. You know, eventually you come up to you're left with you and God. You've given everything away, and there's still this sense of yourself. And you really can't surrender that. Well, at least I couldn't. I couldn't really, because you're still there trying to surrender something. Yeah. <laughs> and so I mean, I've been on so many retreats that I kind of realized that there was. I mean, I didn't know how to do it. I mean, I, I tried so many different ways that I couldn't do it. And so, in that letting go of that, I mean, the self disappeared. Or at least went, got really quiet, you know. There was nobody, there was nobody trying to get anything anymore. I wasn't seeking reward. I wasn't seeking heaven. I was just, just there. Okay, well, we can bring this formal part of the morning to a close. Got a little tea back there. You can get out and enjoy the beautiful sunny day. So, until we meet again, peace to you all.